Book Six, Chapter Twenty Four of Henrietta Temple. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Henrietta Temple by Benjamin Disraeli. Book Six, Chapter Twenty Four. Some Account of the Party and Its Result. In spite of the Count Mirabel's inspiring companionship, it must be confessed that Ferdinand's heart failed him when he entered Mr. Temple's house. Indeed, had it not been for the encouragement and jolly raillery of his light-hearted friend, it is not quite clear that he would have succeeded in ascending the staircase. A mist came over his vision as he entered the room. Various forms, indeed, glanced before him, but he could distinguish none. He felt so embarrassed that he was absolutely miserable. It was Mr. Temple's hand that he found he had hold of, the calm demeanor and bland tones of that gentleman somehow reassured him. Mr. Temple was cordial, and Count Mirabel hovered about Ferdinand and covered his confusion. Then he recognized the Duchess and his mother. They were sitting together, and he went up and saluted them. He dared not look round for the lady of the house. Lady Belair was talking to his father. At last he heard his name called by the Count. Armin, mon cher, see this beautiful work! And Ferdinand advanced, or rather staggered, to a window where stood the count before a group, and in a minute he clasped the hand of Henrietta Temple. He could not speak. Catherine was sitting by her, and Lord Montfont sitting behind her chair. But Count Mirabel never ceased talking, and with so much art and tact, that in a few moments he had succeeded in producing comparative ease on all sides. "'I am so glad that you have come to-day,' said Henrietta. Her eyes sparkled with a strange meeting, and then she suddenly withdrew her gaze." The rose of her cheek alternately glowed and faded. It was a moment of great embarrassment, and afterwards they often talked of it. Dinner, however, was soon announced as served, for Mirabel and Ferdinand had purposely arrived at the last moment. As the Duke advanced to offer his arm to Miss Temple, Henrietta presented Ferdinand with a flower, as if to console him for the separation. It was a round table. The Duchess and Lady Belair sat on either side of Mr. Temple, the Duke on the right hand of Miss Temple, where there were so many members of the same family, it was difficult to arrange the guests. Ferdinand held back, when Count Mirabel, who had secured a seat by Henrietta, beckoned to Ferdinand, and, saying that Lady Belair wished him to sit next to her, pushed Ferdinand, as he himself walked away, into the vacated seat. Henrietta caught the Count's eye as he moved off. It was a laughing eye. "'I am glad you sit next to me,' said Lady Belair to the Count, "'because you are famous.' I love famous people, and you are very famous. Why don't you come and see me? Now I have caught you at last, and you shall come and dine with me the seventh, eighth, or ninth of next month. I have dinner parties every day. You shall dine with me on the eighth, for then Lady Frederick dines with me, and she will taste you. You shall sit next to Lady Frederick, and mind you flirt with her. I wonder if you are amusing as your grandfather." I remember dancing a minuet with him at Versailles seventy years ago. It is well recollected in the family, said the Count. Ah, oh, you rogue, said the little lady, chuckling. You lie. I like a lie sometimes, she resumed. But then it must be a good one. Do you know, I only say it to you, but I am half afraid lies are more amusing than truth. Naturally, said the Count, because truth must in general be commonplace or it would not be true. In the meantime, Ferdinand was seated next to Henrietta Temple. He might be excused for feeling a little bewildered. Indeed, the wonderful events of the last four-and-twenty hours were enough to deprive anyone of a complete command over his senses. 
What marvel, then, that he nearly carved his soup, ate his fish with a spoon, and drank water instead of wine? In fact, he was laboring under a degree of nervous excitement which rendered it quite impossible for him to observe the proprieties of life. The presence of all these persons was insupportable to him. Five minutes alone with her in the woods of Dushy, and he would have felt quite reassured. Miss Temple avoided his glance. She was, in truth, as agitated as himself, and talked almost entirely to the Duke. Yet sometimes she tried to address him, and say kind things. She called him Ferdinand, and that was quite sufficient to make him happy, although he felt very awkward. He had been seated some minutes before he observed that Glastonbury was next to him. "'I am so nervous, dear Glastonbury,' said Ferdinand, "'that I do not think I shall be able to remain in the room.' "'I have heard something,' said Glastonbury with a smile, "'that makes me quite bold.' "'I cannot help fancying that it is all enchantment,' said Ferdinand. "'There is no wonder, my dear boy, that you are enchanted,' said Glastonbury. "'Ferdinand,' said Miss Temple in a low voice, "'Papa is taking wine with you.' Ferdinand looked up and caught Mr. Temple's kind salute. "'That was a fine horse you were riding today,' said Count Mirabel across the table to Miss Grandison. "'Is it not pretty? It is Lord Montfort's.' "'Lord Montfort's,' thought Ferdinand. How strange all this seems. You were not of the riding body this morning, said his grace to Henrietta. I have not been very well this day or two, said Miss Temple. Well, I think you are looking particularly well today, replied the Duke. What say you, Captain Armine? Ferdinand blushed, and looked confused at this appeal, and muttered some contradictory compliments. Oh, I am very well now, said Miss Temple. You must come and dine with me said Lady Belair to Count Mirabel, because you talk well across the table. I want a man who talks well across the table. So few can do it without bellowing. I think you do it very well. Naturally, replied the Count. If I did not do it well, I should not do it at all. Ah, you are audacious, said the old lady. I like a little impudence. It is better to be impudent than to be servile. A mankind are generally both, said the Count. I think they are, said the old lady. Pray, is that old Duke of Thingabaugh alive? You know who I mean. He was a millionaire, and a relation of yours. De Crillon. He is dead, and his son too. He was a great talker, said Lady Blair. But then, he was a tyrant of conversation. Now, men were made to listen, as well as to talk. Without doubt, said the Count. For nature has given us two ears, but only one mouth. "'You said that we might all be very happy,' whispered Lord Montfont to Miss Grandison. "'What think you? Have we succeeded?' "'I think we all look very confused,' said Miss Grandison. "'What a fortunate idea it was inviting Lady Blair and the Count. "'They could never look confused.' "'Watch Henrietta,' said Lord Montfont. "'It is not fair. How silent Ferdinand is.' "'Yes. He is not quite sure whether he is Christopher Sly or not,' said Lord Montfont. What a fine embarrassment you have contrived, Miss Grandison. Nay, Digby, you were the author of it. I cannot help thinking of your interview with Mr. Temple. You were prompt. Why, I can be patient, fair Catherine, said Lord Montfort. But in the present instance I shrank from suspense, more, however, for others than myself. It certainly was a singular interview. And were you not nervous? Why, no. I felt convinced that the interview could only have one result. I thought of your memorable words. I felt I was doing what you wished, and that I was making all of us happy. However, all honor be to Mr. Temple. He has proved himself a man of sense. 
As the dinner proceeded, there was an attempt on all sides to be gay. Count Mirabel talked a great deal, and Lady Belair laughed at what he said, and maintained her reputation for repartee. Her ladyship had been for a long time anxious to seize hold of her gay neighbor, and it was evident that he was quite a favorite. Even Ferdinand grew a little more disease. He ventured to relieve the Duke from some of his labors, and Carr from his temple. "'What do you think of our family party?' said Henrietta to Ferdinand in a low voice. "'I can only think of one thing,' said Ferdinand. "'I am so nervous,' she continued, "'that it seems to me I shall every minute shriek and leave the room.' "'I feel the same. I am stupefied.' "'Talk to Mr. Glastonbury. Drink, wine, and talk. Look, look at your mother. She is watching us. She is dying to speak to you, and so is someone else.' At length the ladies withdrew. Ferdinand attended them to the door of the dining-room. Lady Belair shook her fan at him, but said nothing. He pressed his mother's hand. "'Good-bye, cousin Ferdinand,' said Miss Grandison in a laughing tone. Henrietta smiled upon him as she passed by. It was a speaking glance, and touched his heart. The gentleman remained behind much longer than was the custom in Mr. Temple's house. Everybody seemed resolved to drink a great deal of wine, and Mr. Temple always addressed himself to Ferdinand, if anything were required, in a manner which seemed to recognize his responsible position in the family. Anxious as Ferdinand was to escape to the drawing-room, he could not venture on the step. He longed to speak to Glastonbury on the subject which engrossed his thoughts, but he had not courage. Never did a man, who really believed himself the happiest and most fortunate person in the world, ever feel more awkward and more embarrassed. Was his father aware of what had occurred? He could not decide. Apparently, Henrietta imagined that his mother did, by the observation which she had made at dinner. Then his father must be conscious of everything. Catherine must have told all. Were Lord Montfont's family in the secret? But what use were these perplexing inquiries? It was certain that Henrietta was to be his bride, and that Mr. Temple had sanctioned their alliance. There could be no doubt of that, or why was he there? At length the gentleman rose, and Ferdinand once more beheld Henrietta Temple. As he entered, she was crossing the room with some music in her hand. She was a moment alone. He stopped. He would have spoken, but his lips would not move. Well, she said, are you happy? My head wanders. Assure me that it is all true, he muttered in an agitated voice. It is all true. There, go and speak to Lady Armine. I am as nervous as you are. Ferdinand seated himself by his mother. Well, Ferdinand, she said, I have heard wonderful things. And I hope they have made you happy, mother. I should, indeed, be both unreasonable and ungrateful if they did not. But I confess to you, my dear child, I am even as much astonished as gratified. And my father, he knows everything? Everything. But we have heard it only from Lord Montfont and Catherine. We have had no communication with anyone else. And we meet here today in this extraordinary manner and but for them we should be completely in the dark. And the Duchess, do they know all? I conclude so. Tis very strange, is it not? I am quite bewildered. Oh, mother, is she not beautiful? Do you not love her? Shall we not all be the happiest family in the world? I think we ought to be, dear Ferdinand, but I have not recovered from my astonishment. Oh, my child, why did you not tell me when you were ill? Is it not for the best that affairs should have taken the course they have done? But you must blame Kate as well as me, dear Kate. I think of her, said Lady Armine. I hope Kate will be happy. She must be, dear mother. Only think what an excellent person is Lord Montfont. He is indeed an excellent person, said Lady Armine. But if I had been engaged to you, Ferdinand, and it ended by my marrying Lord Montfont, 
I should be very disappointed. The Duchess would be of a different opinion, said Ferdinand. Lady Belair, who was sitting on a sofa opposite, and had hitherto been conversing with the Duchess, who had now quitted her and joined the musicians, began shaking her fan at Ferdinand in a manner which signified her extreme desire that he should approach her. Well, Lady Belair, said Ferdinand, seating himself by her side. I'm in on the secret, you know, said her ladyship. What secret, Lady Belair? Ah, you will not commit yourself. Well, I like discretion. I have always seen it from the first. No one has worked for you as I have. I like true love, and I have left her all my china in my will. I am sure the legatee is very fortunate, whoever she may be. Ah, you rogue! You know very well whom I mean. You are saucy. You never had a warmer friend than myself. I always admired you. You have a great many good qualities, and a great many bad ones. You always were a little saucy. But I like a little spice of sauciness. I think it takes. I hear you are good friends with Count Thingabob, the Count whose grandfather I danced with seventy years ago. That is right. Always have distinguished friends. Never have fools for friends. They are of no use. I suppose he is in on the secret, too? Really, Lady Belair, I am in no secret. You quite excite my curiosity. Well, I can't get anything out of you, I see that. However, it all happened at my house. That can't be denied. I tell you what I will do. I will give you all a dinner, and then the world will be quite certain that I made the match. Lady Armine joined them and Ferdinand seized the opportunity of effecting his escape to the piano. "'I suppose Henrietta has found her voice again now,' whispered Catherine to her cousin. "'Dear Catherine, really, if you are so malicious, I shall punish you,' said Ferdinand. "'Well, the comedy is nearly concluded. We shall join hands, and the curtain will drop.' "'And I hope, in your opinion, not an unsuccessful performance?' "'Why, I certainly cannot quarrel with the catastrophe,' said Miss Grandison. In the meantime, the Count Mirabel had obtained possession of Mr. Temple, and lost no opportunity of confirming every favorable view which that gentleman had been influenced by Lord Montfort to take of Ferdinand in his conduct. Mr. Temple was quite convinced that his daughter must be very happy, and that the alliance, on the whole, would be productive of every satisfaction that he had ever anticipated. The evening drew on, carriages were announced, guests retired, Ferdinand lingered, Mr. Temple was ushering Lady Belair, the last guest, to a carriage. Ferdinand and Henrietta were alone. They looked at each other. Their eyes met at the same moment. There was but one mode of satisfactorily terminating their mutual embarrassments. They sprang into each other's arms. Ah! That was a moment of rapture, sweet, thrilling, rapid. There was no need of words. Their souls vaulted over all petty explanations. Upon her lips, her choice and trembling lips, he sealed his gratitude and his devotion. The sound of footsteps was heard. The agitated Henrietta made her escape by an opposite entrance. Mr. Temple returned. He met Captain Armine with his hat, and inquired whether Henrietta had retired, and, when Ferdinand answered in the affirmative, wished him good night, and begged him to breakfast with them to-morrow. End of Book Six, Chapter Twenty-Four Recording by Todd